0: We are uh, continuing in our study in the book of Leviticus. We come to Leviticus chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 27. Our New Testament complementary passage is Romans chapter 12, and we will be reading verses 1 through 8. It really should be the entire chapter 12, but just take that as understood. We're just going to read verses 1 through 8 of Romans chapter 12. So, please open your Bibles, and in honor of God's Word, stand. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, hear God's Word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Thus far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 7, beginning in verse 22 and continuing in the reading of God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, you shall shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat. The fat of an animal that dies of itself and the fat of one that is torn by beasts may be put to any other use but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food sacrifice may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood, whatever, whether of fowl or animal in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the hearing, the preaching of your word, and we pray that you would show us the Christ who is hidden and yet revealed in all his beauty in that word by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So when I am putting together a sermon, I try to start with a question or a thought that grabs your attention, grabs your, your, your mind so that you think, huh, I hadn't thought of that as, as we approach this text. The problem with this morning is that I've got three completely different ones all colliding together at the same time, and I'm not sure which is the best. <laughs> but there are three different things that seem to me to be addressed in this text. And and so, for those of you who like outlines, I'm just going to look first at the command that's given in this text, and then I'm going to look secondly at the principle behind that command, the command and the principle. But here's the question that I think comes out of this text, or at least one of the questions that comes out, out of this text, why does God care whether you eat fat? what is it what's the difference to him? or maybe to make it more uh, contemporary, why does God care whether or not you tithe? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What In what way are you enriching him or impoverishing him? And now certainly that issue of ministry, church, and finances, if you've been around the church or aware of the church for any length of time, you know is roundly abused by charlatans within and by critics without. That that's really all that we're after is your money. So why don't we just take a bold stand of faith in God that He will provide and let's command everybody to stop giving for a full year. Let's see if our faith trusts God. Why are these seemingly petty? Is that Can I say that? Why are these seemingly petty rules imposed on us? Why does God care? But notice in our text this morning, specifically, you can't eat the fat of an animal that can be offered in sacrifice, but you can use the fat if the animal dies of natural causes or... It's torn and killed by wild beasts. A wolf gets into your flock, kills one of your lambs. You're allowed to take the fat of that lamb and use it, but not eat it. So you can use it maybe to light the lamps in your house. You can use it for oiling the axle on your chariot as you try to make it through the wilderness. You, you, can, you can use these things in this way, but not that way. Why? That question actually has been asked since theologians first started asking questions <laughs> of God's Word. The rabbinical tradition. The, the, the rabbis and their understanding of, of the Old Testament. The rabbinical tradition states that God's laws, the Torah, are divided into three categories. There are those that on the face of them make sense. There are those that make sense after explanation. And there are those that make no sense whatsoever, no matter how much you explain. And there's actually debate over whether what we call kosher fits into category number two or category number three. Are the kosher laws, and that's really what's being introduced here. Are the kosher laws something that God has given to us because if we just understand them enough, we'll understand that the fat of a sheep is good for a lamp, but is not good for eating. But that's not what we find, is it? Sheep fat is good either way you go. (laughs) In fact, in other places in Scripture, people are commanded to eat the fat. They're commanded to eat the fat and drink the wine in Nehemiah chapter 8. When Ezra rediscovers the law. Nehemiah says, hey, stop your weeping. The people read the law and they said, we're sinners, we're condemned. And they started weeping. And Nehemiah said, don't you dare. This day is a day of joy. Eat the fat and drink the wine and give the portions to people who don't have them in their home. This is rejoicing. So it's not that fat in and of itself is dangerous or evil or wicked or anything like that, because later they're commanded. So why these laws? What harm is there to God if we don't do it? What benefit is there to God if we do? Now, as we look at the text, and the particular command that that jumps out of the text here, it's this prohibition against eating the fat of specifically a sacrificial animal. So how does this work out in real life? How would this work out in the practice of the Jewish family? Now, some of you may have been raised in a practicing Jewish household. Or you may have had some interaction with a practicing Jewish household. And sometimes they will have completely separate sections of the kitchen for separate dishes. There are the daily dishes and there are the Sabbath dishes. There there are things that are not to be mixed with one another. And if you think about how this works out in real life, I want you to envision a Jewish mother sitting on her stool in the tent trying to figure out how she's going to apportion the stuff that she's got and being super careful when her husband brings in an animal and says, hey, how about some nice lamb chops for dinner? being super careful to say, okay, lamb chops it is, but just a minute, I need to very carefully, as we butcher this animal, make absolutely sure that none of the fat ends up in our meal tonight, or we will be cut off from the people. Another way of working it out in real life is same Jewish mom sitting there, husband brings in this dead lamb and says, Honey, I was out with the sheep today. It was a tragedy. This lamb has been found this morning. Wolves got into the wolf, wolf or sheep pen. This is what's left over. Then she says, Okay, I know what I can do with the, with, the, with the lamb. I know what I can do with the fat. This is the fat that goes over into this pot. This pot is specifically for me collecting this stuff so that I can use it for lighting lamps or whatever other household purposes I need. That's this pot here. In other words, if you want to know what kosher looks like, it looks like quiet people, alone, In their homes. Being intentional about saying. Every single part of my day. Belongs to God. Down to the details of how I'm going to prepare family dinner down to the details of what I'm going to use to light or fuel the lamps that are in my house at night, down to these small details unnoticed by anyone, anywhere, do you really think that the visitor who comes over for dinner, is going to ask questions. Well, now, wait a minute. I can see this food has been flavored here with some fat. Was this the fat of a possible sacrificial animal? Or was it the fat of a different kind of animal? Because I can't eat it if it was the fat of it. These are all quiet, personal, family Unnoticed commitments and sacrifices in the quiet and privacy of the home. What difference does it make to God? Probably none whatsoever. <laughs> What difference does it make to you and me? What difference does it make to you and me to go through the discipline of the Lord's Day worship? What difference does it make to you and me to go through the discipline of the daily coming, and especially you fathers, bringing your wives and your children before the Lord in prayer? What difference does it make being a spiritual head in your home, what difference does it make to God? None whatsoever. What difference does it make to you? All the difference in the world. And that's why God gives us these seemingly meaningless commands, these seemingly trivial commands. About not eating fat from anything that is sacrificed. Because beloved, it's in the obedience, in the daily details, in the disciplines, in the regular gymnasium of discipline, of seeking to give every moment and every day and everything. As a free will offering to God. It's in those disciplines. That you and I. Are made more like Christ. And ironically that's almost exact quotation. From one of the foundational of the Hebrew theologians. Moses Maimonides. Great Theologian, he's, he's basically Augustine and Aquinas all wrapped up in one person for the Jewish faith. All the Jewish different sects are offshoots of Maimonides. And Maimonides says, in this third category of laws, laws that make absolutely no sense, that are simply given to you to obey, He says, in this third category, it is simply the Almighty saying, give yourself to me. And in the process of obedience, we are perfected. I would take that, obviously, and look at it through new covenant lenses and say, we are made perfect in Christ Jesus. But it is in the process of these little helps, these little things. And beloved, these little things are all little private things. They're all little private things. It's in the discipline of saying, I'm going to get on top of this sin issue. What does it matter to anybody else in this room, whether you are on top of your particular sin issue or not? What does it matter? Probably nothing at all. But what does it matter to you? It matters everything. It matters the whole world. And beloved, that's why God gives us this seemingly insignificant, unreasonable rule of no fat. But let's look quickly, secondly, at the principle that is behind this. Because fat is a symbol of abundance. When the children of Israel are being promised to go, or get given the promised land, they're being told they shall eat of the fat of the land. Fat is somebody who has got more than they need to eat, <laughs> as I can testify, sadly. Fat is somebody that is not suffering. Fat is a symbol of prosperity and joy and overindulgence, let's be clear. It's also a symbol of overindulgence. So why does God say don't eat the fat? Is it just because he wants his Israelites to be lean and trim and healthy? No, (laughs) not at all. He tells them to eat the fat in other places. But beloved, this careful lifestyle, this care think of the of the of the detail, of the attention to detail that this lifestyle requires, this keeping kosher. And this is not the only law in the kosher repertoire. There are many, many other kosher laws. But this is the kind of one of the first times that we encounter this concept of kosher. When we are keeping these laws. We're making a constant daily sacrifice, a constant daily commitment, a private, personal commitment that every aspect of our life is given to God. But in the meaning behind cutting off the fact, it's a constant and daily reminder that we're not ready to rejoice yet. The Messiah has not come. This sacrifice is never going to be, this lamb can never be joyful. This bull can never be joyful. This goat can never be a piece of joy. Because the fact, the joy, the celebration that is tied to this sacrifice can only come into its reality when the Messiah has come. When the fullness has come when all has been fulfilled. What difference does it make if you tithe to God? What difference does it make in your life if you observe the Sabbath? What difference does it make? What di- or, I'm sorry, I said to your life. <laughs> makes a lot of difference. What difference does it make to God if you observe the Sabbath? Why does he care? if you rest or not what difference does it make to god if you are pursuing holiness or not does god is god blessed by your holiness is god threatened by your lack what difference does it make to god none whatsoever Beloved, what difference does it make to you and me? Everything. Down to the absolute daily details of how I organize my kitchen if I'm a Jewish woman. This constant reminder that everything in our lives belongs to God, not just worship. This constant looking. For that final Messiah. For that final time. That day, great day of atonement. That final time. When the feast will come. Beloved. The book of Leviticus is a book asking and answering the question, how does one ascend the mountain of the Lord? How do you and I get back to the Garden of Eden? That's the message that the book of Leviticus is addressing. And all of these sacrifices and all of these pictures and all of these things are pointing us forward, promising us one day. And the hope in which these men and women lived is, beloved, the reality in which you and I live. Father, may our lives taste, may they smell as sweet, may they taste as rich, may they be as completely dedicated to you. As that unknown housewife thousands of years ago, carefully separating into the two different pots, Father, give us the same attention, the love, the passion for your control of every aspect of our lives. For that is exactly what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has purchased, all of us.